You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. All right. This is the most important time of our church gathering. For those of you who are visiting with us, this is what we uh, gather for to worship Jesus and spend time in his word. And so uh, 2 Timothy 4 is where we're going to be today, walking through the uh, courageous series in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4. Uh, hands up if you don't have a Bible. Not so we're going to embarrass you. We can give you a copy of God's word. If you forgot yours or didn't bring yours, we want you to follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 5. Remember we used to do sword drills when we were kids? Get your Bibles up in the air. We're not doing that today. Just get there. <laughs> Second Timothy uh, chapter 4. As you turn there, uh, Steve and Jody, uh, thanks for coming today to lead us in worship. Steve is a friend of mine from a good old maybe 10, 15 years ago. We go way back to, way back to maybe even our 20s. It's a long time ago, but it's great to see Steve and um, see how he's getting gray in his beard as I get gray in my beard. It's always encouraging to see that happening in other people too. Are you there yet? Second Timothy 4. I'm just passing time until you get there. Are you there yet? Second Timothy 4. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, let's go. Let's read and let's get into God's word today. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5 is all we're going to bite off today. This is a big chunk, though. Uh, 1 to 5. Look at this. It says, preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they're going to have itching ears and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Tragedy. But as for you, Timothy, from Paul, remember, the mentor to the mentee. Always be sober-minded. Endure joy. No, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. There's a reason why we've called this series Courageous, because as every text I read, you're looking at it going like, man, this is going to take some what? Some courage. Courageous. This is actually a call from a, like a seminary professor, uh, Paul, to the little student, Timothy, and like, this, is what it, this is what ministry is. It's really a, a divine calling. He's showing Timothy what his divine calling is, and so you're sitting there going, great, this is a message that the pastor gets to preach to himself today, and I get to just listen, sort of. This, this is God's mandate for what uh, the pastoral calling is. Uh, Pastors have become so many things in today's society. They've become the social justice warriors. They've become the, the, the placate people and put on a show entertainment and placate people. But yet God says that the pastor's job is to what? What's it say here? It's to preach the word. In fact, this is what it means to fulfill the, your calling. I think the whole key to this text is actually the last three words of this. It says fulfill your ministry or fulfill your calling. This is what it takes for a pastor to fulfill his calling. And, and so, you know, you go to work in the morning and your boss, you show up and your boss gives you your to-do list for the week. Well, this is the pastor's to-do list every week. First two commands, love God, love people, preach the word. Your boss gives you yours, this is, this is mine every week. Love God, love others, preach the word. 
Don't get sidetracked with all kinds of other things that ministry can bring. Focus on studying and preaching the word of God. Just before you think it's just a calling of mine, this is, this is how the pastor fulfills his calling. This is part of it, but you have to understand this is part of the calling of every single believer to also preach the word. Maybe not stand up here and orate a sermon like God has called me to, but your calling in this world is to keep Christ prevalent in your hearts and to promote Jesus Christ. How? Through the preaching of his word. We're all, as believers, called to be preachers. Do you understand that? How do I know that? Because 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we're all called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Pleading with people to be reconciled to God. How are we going to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ without the word of God deep in our hearts and coming out of our lips? So no matter what you do in a job, this isn't just my job description. This is part of your job description. Wherever you do your job, in your family, in your social circles, in your friends at work, this is part of your calling to fulfill your mandate as well. So it's good that we all listen up today, me included. I am preaching to myself, but I'm also preaching to you. How are we going to fulfill our calling courageously living out the scriptures. This text points out for us four things of how we can fulfill our calling. Four things of how we can fulfill our calling and actually get to the end of this life and God looking at your life and saying, now that was profitable for the kingdom. Your life was fruitful for my kingdom. Here's how it happens. One, number one is understanding our mandate. What's our mandate? My mandate is to proclaim God's truth. Proclaim God's truth. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is God's mandate. It's a divine mandate on all of our lives, specifically mine, but all of ours. Look what it says, I charge you in the presence of God. This is not a suggestion, it's not like, a, hey, if you think this might be a good idea, this is what God says, this is an imperative, this is a directive, do this, preach the word, remembering that you are in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Literal translation of this is you are in the presence of God, even Jesus Christ. It's a reminder, it's a reminder for us that that. Jesus doesn't just look over our lives in ministry in a care-for sense. He also looks over our lives in ministry in the sense that we are going to be held accountable for them. Do this remembering that Jesus Christ is going to hold us account for how we live our lives and what we do with God's word in our lives. It's really do these things remembering that judgment is coming. In the presence of Jesus Christ, who is going to come back, it says one day, he's going to come back, he's, his glorious appearing is coming, he's going to come busting through the clouds, riding on his white horse, ready to judge everybody. And it's going to be the time when we see the full, for the full reality of Jesus bursting forth in all of his glory and all of his splendor. Jesus is coming back and he's going to set up his eternal kingdom for a thousand years here. Then he's going to kick Satan into where he goes, into the abyss, into, Satan, into, into hell. And then he's going to come back and set up his eternal kingdom forever. And so we live these things out. We live out our mandate knowing that the judgment is coming. Both for the listeners and for us. The Bible talks about three different judgments that are going to come. When we're all standing in the presence of Christ. There's going to be three different judgments that are going to come upon 
Every human being standing in the presence of God, you can't dodge that. You can't say, I'm going to skip that part of the plan. You can't skip it. One, we're all going to stand before Christ in the judgment of the sheep and goats, Matthew 25. We're all going to stand there, and there's going to be two lines. One big line, and those who know Christ, how about you stand over here on the right? Those who don't know Christ, the sheep on the right. Those who don't know Christ, the goats, well, why don't you stand over here on the left? There's only, there's only two lines when you get to heaven. There's going to be two lines. One big line is going to morph into two. Those who know Jesus Christ and those and who have chosen to accept him and, and put themselves under the authority and repent of their sin and by faith turn to Jesus. That's the line on the right. The line on the left is reserved for those who don't know Jesus, who've chosen to rebel against him or to ignore him or do your own thing. And maybe you've, even if you're a church person, you've been coming to church your whole life, but you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus truly, then that's on the left. That's the first judgment. Then there's going to be a great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 for those who are just in the line on the left, for the unbelievers, and that's where the final gavel is going to fall. It's like pronounced guilty, and there's going to be no doubt. All is, there's going to be no doubt, guilty. And that's where the final verdict, the, ga- the gavel falls, and eternal punishment is doled out. And eternity apart from God. You choose to live life apart from God on earth, your eternity is going to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. Devastating reality. Scary reality, isn't it? I know we don't preach on how much in church today, but I don't know why, because Jesus mentions it a lot in the scriptures. It's a motivator for preaching the word. Eternal consequences on the right-hand side. There's also going to be another judgment for those on the right-hand side, the Bema judgment. First and Second Corinthians both talk about Bema seat judgment for believers. And this isn't one that we fear. This is one that we stand before Jesus it says in um, 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and believers that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to whether he has done, whether good or bad. So it's not one that we as believers like, oh no, no, is my salvation at stake? Your salvation is not at stake. You're already in the right line. But it's sort of like an awards ceremony. We're all sitting there and, and for those who have actually fulfilled God's calling, they're going to get rewards and we're all sitting there waiting for the rewards. It's kind of like draft day in the NFL, right? Everyone's waiting for their name to be called and some people are going to get their name called and get to walk up. Wow, we've been faithful and you've been faithful. And you get to walk down the aisle and maybe get to shake Jesus' hands. I don't know how it's all going to go. Get a crown. And it's going to be a pretty big day. Others are going to be sitting there going, my name's not being called. My name's not being called. Is your name being called? My name's not being called. Still in heaven, but missing out on the rewards. This is the judgment that is talking about here in this text, really alluding to, is the fact that you know, you're going to stand in the presence of God, Timothy, in the light of the reality of the judgment of Christ uh, for not just you, but your listeners, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's going to reveal all his glory, in light of the, coming, uh, the reality he's going to come and establish his kingdom, uh, there's some Nine important things you need to do. This passage has nine important imperatives. Five right here in these verses I just read. Starts with this. Preach the word. Be ready. Reprove. Rebuke. And exhort. In light of the significance of a time coming when all people We'll stand before God. What do I do? What do I do? You pray your heart out and then you, say it with me, preach the word. That was pretty weak. What do we do? We preach the word. I preach the word, but you also have the same urgency to preach the word. 
The word preach, caruso, means to herald or proclaim publicly. It's the idea of an old town crier back in the day would be like, hear ye, hear ye, standing in a street corner like, there's political reforms coming or the big news you gotta hear, the emperor's coming to town. Loud, out there, don't be shy. That's proclaim or herald the truth is what God is calling me to and you to. We all love announcements, right? We aren't shy when we get the job promotion or get our tax return in and tell people we're going to buy with that or when our team wins the game. That's how we're supposed to be when we preach the word, like megaphone style. Excitement, not shy. When are we supposed to do this? Preach the word in season and out of season. What's that mean? Like, what's the season? Is it summer? Is it winter? Is it fall? No, it's not the season it's talking about. It's in season and out of season. When people are going to love you for preaching the word and when people are going to hate you for preaching the word. When culture rallies around the word and when culture repels the word, you still, what's our call to? Preach the word. When people sing your praises for speaking for God and when people curse your name for speaking of God. When there's a spirit, there's reigns of revival in the air, we preach the word. When there's a spiritual famine and there's, see, there's no one that's saved, what are we called to do? We're called to preach the word. Already you getting the urgency in this? Man, it wasn't lost on me all week as I was preparing. It's an intense calling. For those of you that think it's such a, well, it's just like a walk in the park. You just prepare a sermon, you get up and preach, like, eh, wrong answer. It's just, just like you guys, when you go out and you know you're supposed to preach the word and all of a sudden it's like, mm, what are people gonna think? But it says we're called to, what's the next word here? Preach the word. It says, be ready. Be ready, on the alert, like vigilant. So, sort of like a lifeguard is the way I see it. A, a preacher is sort of like a lifeguard guarding lives and, and you're sort of like little lifeguards guarding the lives of those around you by the word of God and be ready. Don't be, don't be like the lifeguards that are up in their chair like looking at their muscles and flirting with all the opposite sex. Don't be like that lifeguard. Don't be like the lifeguard setting up his beach towel and not worry about the people out there just worried about getting a nice tan and don't be the lifeguard like not on duty. Like be ready, be ready, be a lifeguard. Look out for people by bringing in the word of God. Here's, here's some more commands, imperatives. This is what preaching the word looks like. What's it mean to preach the word? Just to open up and read it? Well, here it says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove means to correct, to correct false doctrine and sinful living. Now it's getting a little real, isn't it? That's what it means to preach the word, to correct, not with a like, like, come on, you moron, you're not doing it right, but to correct, to show them that this is not right. It's not right before God, and here's why. To reprove is to correct. To rebuke is actually to convict, to come a little harder than to correct, is to convict, is to kind of three elements in this. Two are negative, one's positive. It's the mind, the heart, and the will. Correct is the mind. Rebuke is, or... Convict is the heart to bring conviction where through the power of the Holy Spirit speak in such a way that's going to bring conviction, help people see that what I'm doing is really wrong and I'm feeling the weight of, of conviction on me. I know we think conviction's bad and it's all guilt. Conviction's actually good. It's of the Lord. It's to turn you to repentance. Sometimes 
That guilt feeling is the God pressing in on you, in your heart. Well, I just gotta get rid of that. It's making you feel uncomfortable. No, that's God pressing in on you because he loves you and wants to change you. We're supposed to preach the word in a way that brings conviction on people's hearts. What I'm doing is not right. And oh my goodness, it's ruining me and it's ruining others. And most importantly, it's, a, it's an affront to God to reprove, to rebuke, and also to exhort. It sounds like he's saying the same thing over again, but that word exhort, it can mean a bunch of things. It's parakaleo in the New Testament. It can mean anything from calling it out to like loving encouragement. In this context, it means a loving encouragement to, 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 to correct, to convict, but also to cheer on. Like once the person's under the correction, conviction, now your job is to like cheer them on through the word of God. Like you can do it, don't give up, keep going, keep going. Yes, spur each other on. See see how this all fits together? They all complement each other. First glance, like you're saying the same thing three times. Like God's not that dumb. He doesn't say the same thing three times for no reason. This is the call of a preacher. It's call of all of our hearts. There's some obvious application before we go on. There's some obvious application here. What's the application for us today? I know what my application is. Here's my application. Just to help you understand my role and my calling in your life as your pastor, here's my application. My application is every time I stand up on a Sunday morning, there's no, there's no like, I'm just going to sh- check in today and check out. There's none of that. My application is this. Every Sunday, what am I supposed to do? Like God's yelling at me, bring it, pastor. That's what it is, right? Two words, bring it. I don't feel like it today. Bring it. They might not like it. Bring it. This is what God is calling me to. It's so obvious. Preach the word. I'm not supposed to be here to be some sort of spiritual guru. I'm supposed to be here to be a spiritual lifeguard for your lives. I'm not up here to dazzle you with my great intellect or my oration skills. We all know that that's about subpar. Not even do the little song and dance, you know, to make you feel good. That's not my job. What's my job? My job is to open up the word of God, study it all week long, open it up, pray my heart out, and just simply say, here's what it says. This is all I'm trying to do today. Here's what it says. Here's how it changes your life. That's my job. Preach the word. What's the word? It's the whole counsel of God's word. When he says the word, it's not just like the word in front of you. It's the whole counsel of God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, 66 books of the Bible, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Preach the whole thing. Doctrine. Give you sound doctrine so that you know what it means and not just take verses out of context. We get the whole story of the whole Bible, which all points to Jesus. That's why we preach expositionally in our church. That's why we go, we go through books. Even when we do topical sermons, which we do, they're not sinful, they're not wrong, but we usually choose a text and preach that text as is even one verse. As you know, I can preach 45 minutes on one verse. Because all we're trying to do is dig down and say, this is what God says. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know what you need more than anything else? Coming here on Sunday, you know what you need more than anything else? You don't need more friends, to be honest. You don't need to find that special someone in the Christian circles. You know what you need more than anything else? You don't need just to walk out of here with like, oh, I feel better about myself today. You know what you need? You need the word of God. My job is to bring it and let God do what he's gonna do through his word. All you need really is the word of God. Listen to how the scriptures talk about the word of God, the sufficiency of God's word. God's word is all I need. Let me help you see why this is such an important command for me and for you. Bible talks about God's word as sweet as honey. This is the sweetest 
Not even book. This is the sweetest reality that you can know is Christ through the scriptures. More satisfying than your favorite meal is this. The Bible talks about the God talks about the Bible being a lamp for our path. It actually, he lights the way for your steps. What do I do next? Where do I go? How do I know if I'm living in God's will? How do I know who God is? It all comes from the word of God. It's food for the soul. Jeremiah. It's a fire that purifies. God's word actually, is, it acts like a fire acts to gold. It purifies and, and all the impurities get melted away so that's all that's left is pure gold. That's God's desire for your heart. It comes through the word of God. It's a hammer that breaks us. I don't like being broken, but we need to be broken sometimes. Come on, you're like me. That old heart just gets hard and you know it's hard. And you can't do anything about it. And you start pounding your chest, make this heart soft. And you can't. How does it get soft? Through the word of God. It's a sword that penetrates. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the seed for our salvation. It's what God uses to ultimately save our souls. It's milk that nourishes us. I know what you came in here looking for this morning, but what you need is God's word. Maybe you're hoping for a song and dance because lots of churches give you the song and dance. We give you something better than song and dance. We give song and dance. We give you the word of God. My call is simply this: it's faithfulness over success. I didn't have to worry about who comes and goes. Many have come and gone because this is too hard. I don't want to really hear the word of God. I want to hear something else. My job is to not even build this church. That's Christ's job. My job is to what? Preach the word. Doesn't matter how many Facebook friends or Twitter followers I get. In fact, you think pastors get more? We actually get less, believe it or not. You want to have a conversation stopper sometime? Just tell someone you're a pastor. That changes the mood quick. Preach the word. It's imperative for our lives. That's my role. You know what your role is? If I'm supposed to bring it, you know what your role is every week to come in here and sit down and be like, all right, pastor, bring it on. Only one amen for that one. (laughs) I'm called to bring it. You're called to bring it on. You're you're called to come in here and say, say, hey, pastor, today I don't want a theological snack. I don't want just a little appetizer. I want like the four-course full meal deal. Give me a theological meal, one that motivates my mind and, and moves my heart and, and, and multiplies my, my ministry as I move forward. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want. That's what I need. Preach the word. I need to be reproved. I need to be rebuked sometimes. I need to be exhorted and cheered on. This is the role of the word of God. This is, this is why you should be coming to church on a Sunday morning, just to hear the word of God. If you ever get bored with the word of God, let me tell you this, that's a dangerous place to be. You know why? Because that means you're bored with God. No, pastor, you're boring. Good, great. But you know what? I listen to a lot of boring pastors, but the word of God is never boring. No matter how boring the pastor is, this word is alive and living. It's not about the preacher. Well, the passage that God has ordained for us. This is my job. This is your job. So you can 
pray for me as I pray for you. You can pray that we as a church stick to the word of God and never waver. Don't, let me assure you, this is not the popular path to take, but we take it because we believe firmly in passages like this. We believe it all. And you can eagerly come here and put yourself under the authority of the scriptures. This is what God's calling us to, preach the word. Spend a little more time on that than everything else because that's so important, but let's keep going here. It's my mandate. This passage points out my mandate for a faithful life, a life that's going to fulfill our calling. It's also my, it shows us my attitude. What's my attitude? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, that's good. You're supposed to preach the word. Well, how's it supposed to happen? You do so with complete patience and teaching. Basically, Paul is saying to Timothy, instruct the people like a father would instruct a son. With an urgency, with a care, with a consistency, with the best ability to know how, just instruct the people with patience. Why does the word patience always come up in the Bible? Why is Paul instructing Timothy to do this with patience? Because I think Timothy's default is like our default. We want everything instantaneously, don't we? And to be a pastor of a church takes a lot of patience. Because sometimes what we think you should get in an instant, it takes maybe a couple years to get or Maybe a decade to get or a few decades to get and it's easy to get discouraged and be like, but, but God, I'm preaching my whole life and I'm putting my all into every single sermon and people just come in, they, they listen, they walk out, and I don't think anything's happening and, and sometimes get discouraging. Paul's reminding Timothy, but just keep doing so with patience. Don't give up, don't quit, keep doing it. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that becoming a disciple is not instantaneous. It takes patience on my behalf to keep teaching and teaching and teaching. It takes patience on your behalf to keep coming and keep learning and keep striving and keep growing and keep growing. We wish there was a little vault in our day and age where you could just go in and you could just, you know, put yourself in this vault and set the setting for discipleship. I want to be a 10 out of 10. Put my money in. You come out. Bam! I'm a 10 out of 10. That's amazing. I'm a disciple of Jesus, but discipling a disciple of Jesus doesn't work like that. Sometimes it takes a long time for people to even understand the real Jesus. The real Jesus grapple with him in their minds and hearts and then come to submission in him. If people don't accept Jesus the first time they hear the gospel. Sometimes it takes many moons, many, many suns and moons and it takes forever, but, but we do so with patience. Changing a life isn't instantaneous. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we hear those stories of people who come to Christ and they're like, man, I was like this dirty rotten. I was into drugs and porn and everything else and I got saved and bam, I was like brand new and I've never gone back. Those are amazing stories, aren't they? Love those stories. Sometimes it's not quite that pronounced. Sometimes it takes a long time to have that change fully take root. Sometimes it's like when you go for a walk and you're like, on this walk and all of a sudden I see Jesus and like, whoa, there he is. And now I get like Paul on the road to Damascus, like maybe a story I just shared with you and all of a sudden you see him and you're like, wow, now, now I'm going the other way and that's amazing. Sometimes that's how change happens. God can do that. Say God can do that. Sometimes change happens, though, as you're riding along. You're riding on a bike, not going for a walk. I heard this illustration from, I can't remember who, a number of years ago, but I'm stealing it. It's not mine, but it's a good one. <laughs> Sometimes it's like when you're, when you're uh, going for a bike ride, and you, all of a sudden you see Jesus. You're like, oh, wow, like, this is amazing, and I've got to start turning my life around. But if you try to turn your bike like this, what's going to happen? You all tried it. I know. 
So you slowly start gradually making that turn and, and, and you got it and, and people want, come on, turn the bike around, but I am, but if I turn too fast, I'm gonna fall, right? And so sometimes it takes a while. Other times it's like in a boat or in a ship. Think of a big ship and you're cruising, if the big ship sees they're one degree off, like, like man, it takes time to turn a ship around. You know those big ships that go through the Welland Canal? Turn one of those things is like difficult. There's my smarts for you today. So you're cruising along, and you're like, I gotta turn this ship, and I see Jesus now, and I understand, but man, there's, this is such a big ship to turn, and there's so much going on, and it just, it's a slow, gradual, no one else can see you turning, but you know you're turning. Eventually, the boat starts looking like it's going a different direction, and maybe like, just before you die, it actually looks like it's heading in the right direction, but man, it's heading in the right direction for sure now. All that takes patience. It takes patience. Basically, Timothy, don't try to be God. Just preach the word and let God do his thing with complete patience. We want now. We've got to give people time to grapple, to humble themselves, to turn. And do so with complete patience. And the implication is also complete teaching. Teaching, just like raising kids, there are so many different personalities and learning styles and capabilities and inabilities. And so what God's advocating is when we preach the word, we've got to take into account the whole congregation with complete teaching, complete instruction. I have three kids. They're all completely different in how they learn. Just when I thought I had it figured out with the first two, little Nick came along like 10 years later, and now we've got to figure it out again. It's nothing like the first two. It's the same when we preach the word. I have in mind that when I come to preach that there's so many different people out here and so I'm trying to preach in a way that captures everybody but at the same time knowing that only God can do it. I think our tendency is when we come into church we think well there's one way a pastor has to preach if he's not doing this then he's not really preaching. Some people think preaching is it's always yelling all the time and if you're not yelling all the time then you're really not preaching. What's wrong with you? You need to yell at me every Sunday. You need to cry and be passionate. There's times for that for sure. Right? Can you imagine if that's how you talk to your kids every day? Come on, son, you little moron. You're not doing it right. You got to do it right. If I just yell how loud at me, you'll get it. Oh, my goodness. Instead of drawing your son to yourself, he'd be running the other way. Right? Sometimes people think you shouldn't yell at all, and you should be gentle. And all you're doing is being gentle, and you're just being nice and kind, and you're just being like a good shepherd, and you're just welcoming people in, and you're just loving on them and loving on them. If you raise your voice, it's not really preaching. You've got to be gentle. You've got to be gentle. Absolutely, you have to be gentle. Some people run away when they, they get it hard. Some people, like, need the spiritual punch in the face every week for some reason. I don't get it, but they do. But if we're just gentle, like, that's also the other side of bad parenting, really, isn't it? If you're just gentle and you don't confront things, you're just gentle, gentle, you just love, you're the best, no, I love you, no, no, do whatever you want, you're doing good, no, you're not doing good, you're actually doing horrible. But I don't want to tell you that, you might not like me anymore. Yeah, loving, right? But at the same time, like, there's a time to, like, there's a time for both is what I'm trying to say. Balance. Complete teaching with patience and instruction. In case you're thinking this is an easy task, it's not. That's why we pray hard in our church often. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Really, he's calling us to 
have patience and teaching just like Christ has for our lives. Just be like Christ in your leading. Be like Christ in your preaching. Listen to this passage that points out Christ, how Christ does this, how God does this with us, and in turn Christ does this, does, lives this out with complete patience and teaching. The Lord is merciful, it says in Psalm 103, verses 8 to 13, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, no, he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Any amen for that? No, repay us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Awesome. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is such a good lesson for all of us. Me, I'm called to be like Jesus. Be like God. Patiently preach it. You're called to patiently accept it. But then as you go out of here, patiently preach it the same way I'm trying to patiently preach it to you. You patiently preach it to those in your life. No discipleship chambers. No quickie, easy answers. But together what we do is preach the word. Together we grow in patience. Together we teach each other and teach those around us. Faithful living. Being faithful to your calling. My mandate is clear. My attitude is obvious from here. I don't believe there's a place in God's economy for those angry Christians who seem to be self-righteous and just tell everybody else what they're doing wrong and how they don't have it figured out. I don't believe that's what God's calling us to. I believe we're to be bold at the right times and gentle at the right times, leaning on the Holy Spirit at all times. But with an urgency, look at the urgency, people need the Lord. People need the Lord in this church, in our communities, in your spheres of influence. People need the Lord. Look at verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears as they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Scary. For the time is coming. This isn't like a chronological time. This is like a, a time, like a time in history, like a, a period of time, an era of time. It's the same word that uh, Timothy uses a little earlier. Paul used a little earlier with Timothy when he talks about dangerous times that are going to come in the last days. And he's saying a time is going to come when people will not endure or, good old translation, not tolerate sound teaching. Doesn't it sound familiar? People will tolerate anything and everything but one thing. Sound teaching. What's sound teaching? It's teaching that's healthy for the soul. That's an affront to those who are living un in unhealthy ways, right? It's like, it's like a fast food junkie putting a salad in front of them. You're calling out my lifestyle, so I don't want to hear that. Just give me more fast food commercials. Even though it's healthy, people are repelled from it and they, they get itching ears, not because they got a bug down there, but they tell me what I want to hear. I just want to go someplace where they tell me what I want to hear. And so what do they do? They accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This isn't new for us in our day, but man, there's one word that compounds this, internet. Accumulate for myself teachers that tell me what I want to hear. Just tell me how God fits into my life and how God's going to make my life wonderful and he's, he's going to let me do all the things I want to do and even live by the flesh. Just tell me about that God, which isn't really the God at all. 
It's a little g God, but not the God, big G. And so even today's day and age, it's so prevalent. Well, there's all these guys on the internet now that call themselves preachers, and where they got their degrees from, I don't know, but it's not from studying this book. Even here in our church, people, well, I, I have this little group of guys that I have surrounded myself with, and, and if you don't line up with him, then I really can't hear what you have to say, hear what he has to say, and you listen to that guy for 10 minutes, there's red flags going off all over, like ding, 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 ding. He's not telling, telling you the truth. But it's okay because he calls himself a preacher, and he's opening the Bible, and he's quoting scripture, and I like it. Here's a, here's a little test for you. If you like everything somebody says, he's probably not teaching the truth. Uh-oh, now you got to scratch off some of those guys off your list. But this is going to happen. Many are going to turn from healthy teaching to suit their, suit their unholy passions, just as we've already learned in Timothy. Preaching Jesus, but it's a different Jesus than the Bible presents. It's a problem because some, some people are going to head for hell thinking they're going for heaven. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth. They're going to wander off into myths. Two results. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth. They're going to wander off into myths. Literally, as John MacArthur says, and they, this will cause, they will cause themselves to turn away from the truth and will be caused to turn aside to myths. It's the word of God. La, 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 la. I don't like to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's going to cause you to turn away from truth and onto a path of myths. To turn is a medical term they use to dislocate it. Something's dislocated or twisted. It's out of joint. And heresy leads you to having a mind and a heart and a soul that's out of joint and it's going to lead you on the wrong path. You're going to be thinking because it's all guised in spiritual lingo that you're headed for heaven when in actuality you have no idea who the real Jesus is. You have no idea what the real Bible says and you're actually headed for the very opposite direction of heaven. You're actually headed for an eternity in hell. This is important, right? Preach the word. Paul used the same verb in his first letter to Timothy when he said that some had already turned aside to follow Satan. They were seduced into loving a false god and pretend Jesus. Jeremiah 5 talks about how this happened even in Jeremiah's day. The Lord said this. The Lord lamented an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule their discretion and yet my people love to have it so. They love to have it so. Truth twisted is just enough to take you down the wrong path. You ever gone for a walk in one of those conservation areas? They got all the nice little colored signs with the trail you're on and little arrows and got the blue trail, the red trail, and the green trail. And so you're walking along and you're looking at the path going like, I'm sure this is the way, but the arrow points the other way because someone flipped the arrow up the other way. It looks like the same arrow. It is the same arrow, but it's just the wrong path here. This looks like the more traveled path and yet you see the, but that one looks more exciting because it goes up the hill instead of down, you know what I mean? And that's what it is. Same color arrow, just pointed the wrong way. And it's a devastating point. Because it doesn't lead you to life, it leads you to the, the enemy's lair. And death. Temptation is today to create our own version of the Bible. We would never say it like that, but we do that. The Jefferson Bible, I told you about this guy before. Jefferson, the famous American president who found the Bible and he found all these different things he liked about the Bible, things he didn't like, so what he started doing was cutting and pasting and at the end he had Jefferson's Bible, which is nothing like the real Bible. 
That's why God calls me to preach the word. That's why God calls you to, to, to study the word and, and listen to the word being preached and in turn preach the word. Nothing more, nothing less. The world around us isn't going to like it. The world around us does not like it. They won't like it. And that's okay. This is why this is a dangerous calling. Oh, I want to be a pastor one day. It sounds so comfy and cozy. Again, wrong answer. It's a dangerous calling. John Knox, when he got his call, he's like, God, give me Scotland or I die. When God confirmed his call, you know what he did? He went and locked himself in a room for, for days and cried and wept over the, the intensity of the call. Intense, but real. It's a message of God's love, but it's, a message about more than God's love. And God is also holy and righteous and, and full of justice. It's a message about an abundant life, but it's not just about a comfortable, luxurious life here on earth. How many times have we heard that? It's a life of persecution and endurance because our luxury comes in glory. It's a life that God is here to meet our needs, but he's not here just to serve us and do our to daily to-do list for us. That's not why God's here. We're here to serve God more than he is here to serve us. It's a message that tells us that, that God is not okay with where you are as a sinner. Yes, he loves you just as you are, but he loves you far too much to leave you there. He wants to change you into the image of his son. It's a message that demands obedience, not a legalistic thing. Obedience is not a legalistic thing. It's a way to express our love for Jesus Christ. First John says we know we love him if we obey his commands. It's a message that talks about God's, the full reality of God's character, including God's wrath. God has wrath for sin. A righteous judge has wrath for evil and sin. God has wrath for sin. And that ultimately, it's a message about how God, in all of his qualities and capabilities, in all of them, he has done for us the greatest thing ever in sending us Jesus Christ to save us from ourselves and from our sin and put us on the path of righteousness for an eternity with God forever. And so we preach this word, we preach this word, loving them enough to share the truth. God, give us faith, amen? All week I pray, every week, God, give me faith, give me courage, God, give me, give me all you've got, because I've got nothing. You'd serve you well to pray that prayer on a weekly basis. Oh, but that's your job, pastor, to preach the word. No, remember, it's all of our jobs. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, pleading with people to be reconciled for God. Give us faith. Give us courage. Give us determination. Give us endurance, oh Lord. Help us to live our lives. Here's what I prayed this week. Help us to live our lives knowing that we live to fear God, not fear man. Help us live out Galatians 1.10. For am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So here's some three applications for this little section here. Is, I know you want some takeaways. So what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Well, here's what God's calling us to. To correct error when we hear it. Oh, no, I send them for you for that. No, we all, to body of Christ, we correct error when we hear it. We confront people with truth in love and grace, in patience, in all teaching. And we call people to Jesus Christ knowing that our reward is coming. Our reward is coming. You and I, I want, I want all of us to not just be sitting in the seats watching the award ceremony go on. I want all of us to be up there getting an award before Christ because we were faithful to do what he called us to do. This is my calling to fulfill God's purposes for my life. 
This is my calling to fulfill God's purposes for my life. What's God's purpose for my life? I hear that more often than anything as a pastor. So what's God's purpose for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? What am I here for? What am I here for? Love God, love others, preach the word. Love God, love others, preach the word. This is, this is how it ends. Verse five, as for you, Timothy, Daryl, put your name in there. Always be sober-minded. Sober-minded literally means to be a mind-free of intoxicants. Truth. Live free of intoxicants and be sober-minded, level-headed in all things. Endure suffering. There it is again. Suffering, it's quoted so often in the Bible, especially in Timothy. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Anything that's worth it costs us something, right? Anything that's worth it costs us something. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And I've heard this put on me as well from well-meaning people. The, you're supposed to be an evangelist. That's all you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be an evangelist. You're supposed to be an evangelist. No, that's not what I'm supposed to be, actually. There is the gift of evangelism. Some pastors have it. Some do not. This means that always keep the unsaved in your in front, in view. Don't stop evangelizing. If it's not your primary gift, don't stop evangelizing. We all have a call to evangelism. And in doing this, you'll fulfill your ministry. You'll fulfill your calling. I love how it ends, fulfill your ministry. I think this is what the whole pastor is about, fulfill your ministry. You want to fulfill your ministry? You want to fulfill your calling? You want to be faithful? You want to hear those words at the end, like, well done, well done, well done. You want to hear those words? You want to hear those words? This is it. Know your mandate. Know your attitude in doing it. Have urgency. There's people around us we're spiritual lifeguards. I'm a spiritual lifeguard. You're a spiritual lifeguard in your friend circle, in your families, in your coworkers. We're spiritual lifeguards. There's an urgency to this. Stick to the word of God and you do that and you'll get to the end and you'll fulfill your calling. Whether you're called to be a pastor or not, I know I am. Most of you will not be. But this is how we both fulfill our callings together. I stand before God and the first thing God asks me is about my own salvation. There's many pastors that aren't saved. Don't fool yourself that have gotten good at talking about something but really never embraced it in their hearts. My first question God's going to ask me is, do you know Jesus Christ? Same question going to ask all of you. Which line are you going to stand in? How do you account for your life, Daryl? The third question that you won't be asked, how did you serve my people? Are you faithful? Doubly accountable for those of us who teach. In the same breath, you're going to have your day with the Lord and there's going to be a left or right, then you're going to stand. How did, you, how did you live your life? Were you faithful? Did you actually listen to the word? Did you take the word and preach it to those who desperately need Jesus? Is your name on the reward list? Or are you just going to get to heaven by the seat of your pants, it says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, so, you know, is, going to, is all your works going to be burned up? Wood, stubble, or hay? Or is it going to be the true good works, that, that, the kingdom works, resulting from preaching the word? They're going to be gold and silver and going to last and going to get a reward. Fulfill your calling. Don't try to have my calling. I won't try to have your calling. Fulfill your calling where you are. Faithful, responsible with what God has entrusted to you.
for the glory of his son. And I will aim to do the same and we'll pray for each other and by God's grace, by God's grace alone, by God's grace alone, we'll endure and we'll be celebrating on the day in our reward ceremony. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that's powerful and real and alive. Father, may we embrace your word. May we love your word. May we live out your word. May we share your word, God, as you call us to. Father, I pray you'd find us a faithful church. I pray, oh God, I desperately pray you'd find me a faithful pastor and all of my flaws and all of my inconsistencies and my frailties. God, I pray you'd find me a faithful pastor. God, I pray for every person in this church, you'd find us a faithful congregation. As, you know, as they live their lives out there, God, for your glory, would they be faithful? Would we not waver when times get tough from your word? Would we we'd be okay with people saying all kinds of things about us and the enemy trying to tear us down, but when we stay strong in your word, knowing that this is what you've called us to in faithfulness. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit, which enables all these things. Apart from Jesus, we can't do these things. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. But through you, Christ, and in you, and by you, and through you, this is possible. So help us, God. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Enable us for your kingdom. Amen.